0: Hello, beloved. Welcome back to Light Alchemy Podcast. Today, I want to begin by sharing something that came out during my morning journals that I feel you may resonate with. 8.08 AM, I feel all the spaces between my bones brightly, as if filled with a neon gas that lights me up, a skeletal map of separation. I want to feel closer to myself, thread through the tissue and tighten my laces to feel held, not in danger of dissolving. This tendency exists in me. I notice it. Something I read says, connection cannot exist without separateness. Fusion into a whole prevents intimacy, contrary to instinct, so some days must be spent alone. that excerpt is a great invitation into not only how to understand the self but also how to understand the self in relation to others I think that information needs to be culturally coded. It needs to be transparent in its origin. And what I want to do today, with this time we have together, is to help you understand the orientation from which the stories and the information that come From my lips to your ear, like what does that directionality look like? What is the context in which I had to learn these things? And what's the context in which they will be useful to you? I don't know if you who are listening identify as straight or gay or trans or non-binary or cis or het I have no way to know what you are you know what you are and no matter how you understand yourself I think there's a kernel of truth in what that morning excavation through journaling showed me which is that there are relationships in our lives that are too close for too long and this isn't to blame any one person in the orientation for holding on but we all know what these relationship ties look like there's a difference between A channel that passes between two people where energy is exchanged and a tie that holds one to another connections are fluid they can expand and contract but there's a balance ties don't function that way they don't allow us to grow if you are familiar with cord cuttings often those are tools that are employed to remove an unwanted connection. And when I say unwanted connection, I'm referring to those those ties that siphon energy that don't reinvigorate us. <laughs> you know the sensation when the connection that you have with someone is bright and collaborative and equal and balanced. I mean, the moment that you think of them, you might light up or feel buoyancy in the belly. And then we know what those ties feel like where you think of them and there's kind of this shroud, this shadow, this siphoning, this feeling of sapping away feeling of being attracted but not understanding why not being able to parse out or name what draws you and they feel heavy and when we're in those spaces i think that cord cutting i mean just the word cutting feels very violent and often if you can imagine that these cords are like plants they have roots often people will cut the stem right that's coming on the outside but they'll fail to notice the roots and so I would encourage you to be more of an energetic gardener and visualize the root system as it is lodged whether it's in your heart or another part of your body and gently and tenderly dig into that and around that surrounding it with love and appreciation and removing it as a whole and returning it back to the person it belongs to rather than violently cutting and leaving yourself with the remnants of that. Just gently dislodging it and sending it back with love. Some days, it's easier to do this than others. But when you get deeply embodied, you'll notice the places where these cords exist. And beyond the ritual of cord cutting, There are ways to learn to grow in a different direction, not to be held by the codependent ties, but to be empowered by connections that reciprocate and to grow deeply into those. That's the difference between being codependent and interdependent. Now I'm recording this outside. In the morning and I'm hoping that the beautiful little bird sounds are relaxing and enjoyable rather than loud and striking <laughs> but I suppose we'll see before I go any further I just want to preface this with I'm about to share some very intimate and personal things and I ask for your patience, as this comes out of me. And to be willing and open to hear and receive and accept the story that I'm going to share with you. And to reflect back and see how it intersects with your own journey. I want to talk to you about the power of a name. When I first began to write, I called it fiction. I pretended that the creatures I created were someone else, not pieces of my experience in this body, not pieces of my being diced up into an array of characters. I was maybe seven or eight years old. I discovered the internet. I had previously been ostracized a bookworm who sat in the back of the bus every day for three or four hours, just losing myself in fantasies. Allowing my own ego to disappear with the descriptions of adventure and the details of lives I'd never live. I know now that when I write, what comes out of me is a face I can recognize as my own. When I read what I have written, I know that the bodies are mine. But in the moment that separation That distance is necessary, is needed. I would never have gotten those truths out of my little kid's mouth if I had to say and own that they were my experiences. Having a space that was anonymous, that was a clean slate, allowed me to create with freedom, because I didn't have to show other people. And the people who read my stories, who participated in the role playing in these online forums, they didn't know what body I was speaking from. And not knowing the orientation gave me freedom to speak and not be judged. Because no one knows in those environments. No one is able to see the face beyond the keyboard. No one is able to know if the person writing this character is like this character, but the truth is they probably are. I think as writers, we are almost incapable of writing authentically about anything that we haven't experienced. And I don't mean experienced directly, it can be indirect, but we call it fiction, be as a means of asking that the judgment that the reader renders on the story not be a judgment extended to the author, though it still is. The label is an attempt at distance, at witnessing rather than inhabiting. It's a mental gymnastic at best, and maybe a lie at worst and their lives always so bad? Aren't they also an attempt at freedom, at granting possibility? For a while in this world, I felt like a phony. I answered to the name that my parents gave me and I occupied the roles that they approved of And yet I felt so lonely and I didn't understand why the clothes they gave me didn't feel like they fit. So the first time that I called myself Lior, was it a lie? Was I naming a part of myself that didn't exist yet? Or was I giving language to something unspoken in me? Either way, you cut it to the people who named me something else. It was a lie. And didn't I know it in the moment? Didn't I model the spelling after a sly thought about the tension between my insides and the story I was told about myself? I imagined lies as comfort. I thought I was inventing a new word. For a liar who soothes, Lior, allay. To allay someone's fears is to offer comfort, is to offer relief. And so maybe it was a lie at first, or that is how it was conjured through imagination, which is often interpreted as not existing or in contrast to reality. Yet the relief was real. I felt the space around me expand and suddenly I could step outside of my trauma and breathe all of myself in. I was no longer just what I was told to be. I created a separate self, one that was only mine that I didn't have to share with the world. When I chose this name, I was a new mother at 16. I was abandoned and abused, confused and lost and angry and depressed. And I didn't know how to escape that. All I knew was by choosing this name, I was slipping into the skin of the character that I had written for the longest time. I occupied space on those online RPG forums for probably, you know, seven or eight until I was 14 consistently. And then for two years, I tried to assimilate. I tried to win the acceptance of my of my environment, of my family. I tried to live up to expectations. I had all the bad straight sex. I pretended I was coming. I pretended like it wasn't horrific and traumatic and terrible. I thought it was like this for everyone who was assigned female at birth. I didn't know it for the prison it was. Though my body did. There was not a doubt, my stomach turned, my bones ached, my head throbbed to the point where I couldn't open my eyes in bright rooms sometimes. And the doctors said that it was all make-believe. I was just imagining these symptoms, they were psychosomatic, they were stress-related, they were invented for attention. But in this character, In Lior, who was this dark creature that could change shape, that had scales on the places of my body that burned and grew hair in unruly spots and who electrified their pain through neurons that could be seen beneath the skin. This character was an embodiment of me trying to be visible. They could adapt so many parts of them depending on the environment, depending on the situation. Their gender was fluid and flexible though they never occupied just boy or just girl. And I swore I was making something up. I said, this isn't anything that anyone else has ever felt. And when you're little and you don't see any representation of people that might feel like you, that's what you believe. You believe you've made something that's an abomination that should be hidden. And I was ashamed. I didn't tell anyone about the thousands and thousands of words I would write every week to strangers on the internet but they made me feel real. And I only separated myself from them when the shame began to be too great to bear. My family was worried about me. I didn't socialize with other kids. I was on this mysterious cyberspace where who knew what the people I was interacting looked like? My family feared that they were all predators and I found it funny because the only predators I had ever met were in real life. And often they were in the places where people thought I would be safe, like every job I ever held. Even up till now, aside from the one that I created for myself and the career that I dug out of the dirt, there really was no safe space. And so, When I finally chose this name, I felt a trap door open in me. Suddenly I could wear my sensations on the outside. I could be the elastic multitude that I wanted to be. And maybe at first it was fantasy. Maybe at first it was just a dream of what might be possible that I could invent a world that was big enough to hold me, that didn't mind what shape I showed up in and just took me at whatever reality I gave it. And it took another five years before I told my family at all. I felt guilt for so heartily rejecting my life and pining for this feeling of dissolving this self into more fluid characters and out of categories. I felt so suffocated and everyone around me told me I didn't deserve to feel this way. And I don't mean to discredit the privilege that has existed in my life. I was lucky to go to a good school that could challenge me. And even if I was socially isolated, I was intellectually pushed and offered the ability to read Pillars of the Earth in third grade and churn through 3,000-page books in a week and dissolve myself in different ways. And without those privileges, I probably wouldn't still be here. But there was still that feeling of suffocation, of invisibility, of isolation. And then... There were years of being wrapped up in bearing my son into the world and fighting for his right to exist. And through a combination of learning to fight for him and carving out this new space for myself, I started to learn who I was. And more and more I felt this need to be transparent about it. I still have this, no one really understands it, this compulsive need for transparency, this urge to tell everyone everything and want them to accept it. And there's just a intense unwillingness to compromise and to hide certain things in order to be palatable or acceptable. I sort of want to live as an ultimatum. Either you take me completely or don't touch me at all. I'm still deciding if that's a good thing or not. (laughs) But I try not to orient the world in binaries of good and bad also. So where are we in the timeline? Maybe I'm 17 or 18 now and the transformation was still closeted. It was still something I saved for myself on the page or behind the lens or when I was alone with people that never knew me before and I could introduce myself in this chosen name and I could be a chosen self and have full autonomy over my being. But I wouldn't dare bringing it in to familiar places, to people who swore that they knew me better than I knew myself. And you know that feeling, family, family friends who you've grown up with they are reluctant to admit that maybe their perception of you is not precise or accurate in the way that they had hoped and i understand that it is painful to misunderstand each other it's painful to miss the mark it hurts to admit our failure that we can love someone and still fail to see them And then we feel ashamed for calling it love at all. But that can't stop us from being honest. And so I found the next step into being vulnerable for me was nudity. This body was a medium for connection. I found comfort in front of the lens with a few people who would let me learn myself without judgment. And in that space, with someone that wants to know me, yet does not know me yet, any shape became possible. And at first, I harbored a desire to belong, to show what was acceptable, to be pretty, to be called beautiful, and I still found rejection despite my best efforts. I was exoticized and feminized, the skin lightened in post production, the colored costuming, the invisibility. It was not enough just to choose a new name. I had to also map its landscape, discover its contours, and then advocate for them loudly, incessantly, using persistence as the only real weapon. And I don't mean being consistent in what the contours of that landscape are, because they were always changing, and they are still always changing. But with this new name I chose, I stepped into a new arena, where the goal was to carve a true existence to really bear a face I found to be familiar, to move from performance to authentic inquiry, no longer replicating what I had seen, what I had been told, but inventing and reinventing, testing and tasting and trying on different skins, existing in different shapes and collecting those that rang true to create a new language, a new body, a new being. This was the first time I ever knew freedom. I am still discovering it in small bits. And that is beautiful too. I think we are given just as much as we can handle. And I think if I were to bloom all at once, I would probably burst. The ones who birthed me and raised me saw a splintered trajectory. They didn't recognize anything familiar in this new body or this new name. They felt I was rejecting them as much as I was rejecting the past self. But that was never it. I saw not A cracking of an old carapace and the emergence of an entirely new shape but of a slow burn away of the programming a natural evolution the way that a seed will sprout and become something new reaching towards light and yes it stops being a seed but that doesn't mean it wasn't a tree all along. It doesn't mean that the flower wasn't folded up in there, too tiny to see. And humans, I mean, we, we lack the ability to see clearly forward and backward. Our rearview mirror is all sorts of warped. Our present experience is still fogged and clouded by the fingerprints on the window pane that we look through. There's still perspective, there's no objective way of understanding ourselves or the world. But we can try. We can be willing to try and continue trying and to accept our failures not as mistakes, but as experiments. To leave behind is not the same as burying. I don't delete or deny my past, but let it carry me forward on a wind of transformation toward awakening, visibility, truth. There's so much nuance in the spectrum of trans experience. Not all of us have a destination. Not all of us need one. Even when we think we have one, often we get there and find that there's still a horizon, that no matter how far you go, there's still room to move. And don't let this sound like I have it all figured out. I'm not the authority on trans experiences. I am not trying to speak for anyone else's lived reality but my own and maybe that's one of the most beautiful aspects of admitting that I participate in trans identity and that lived experience is that we are striving for something that is not easy that is not clearly cut or defined, but that requires us to do the work of defining it. And once we can name a piece of ourselves, it's just like when you start out as an artist and you're discovering your authentic style. And when you come up with something that's truly inventive, that means that it is also foreign. That means that you will also have to fight for it. We'll have to convince people that the way you see the world can be beautiful. It's not easy. It requires so much rejection. It's no different than if you were a writer. And if you ask any writer how many rejection letters they had to receive before they got something published, it's always an incredible legacy of failure. (laughs) And failure isn't a bad word, it's a legacy of unrelenting passion. Of believing in yourself even when no one else does and we can do that for each other when you hear someone tell you who they are just believe them where does this assumption come from that you should be able to ignore someone's pronouns what because you know them better because you've interpreted the symbolism of their body in a particular way, and your perception is somehow tantamount to the way that they experience themselves. I mean, it's fucking nonsense. And what's really exceptional and incredible about the experience of being willing to see people is you will feel your imagination filling in the gaps I swear, I don't think imagination is something that's not real. I think it might be more real. We privilege our senses, our outer senses, our sight, our smell, our taste, our touch. We perceive them as being the ultimate authority on our being. But those things can differ from person to person. And imagination, when you dig into it, is the same mechanism in everyone. That's why mythology resonates. That's why archetypes resonate. Because the things that we imagine are more human than the things we can perceive. And so when you open yourself up to seeing someone else, the way that they see themselves, Your imagination will reorient you to reality. It will show you that you can see that you are capable. Maybe there's a resistance to seeing trans people for what they are because it also changes the viewer because it invites you to imagine, to become more possible. An expansion is scary. Like I said in the beginning, information requires context. It's directional. It has trajectory. And so everything and everyone you come into contact with changes you. And by opening yourself up to perceiving and imagining in the trans spectrum of existence in this space where flexibility and fluidity are possible. I understand that that newness can be frightening, but it is also freedom. Even if you identify as a woman, even if you identify as a man and that matches your genitals, I mean, there's still aspects of you that don't match up to the cultural role. I think that, straight people really miss cisgendered people really miss the opportunity that trans existence and accepting trans existence presents not only to those of us who identify in that way but to them as well i mean they miss the fact that allowing us the space to exist also gives them more space to exist Then maybe as a straight cisgendered person, you might really do some introspection on the ways that you show up in the world, where the roles are, and where you exist beneath them. And maybe you can just get a little bit more distance in there. Just make a little bit more space. Say that, yes, you are a wife and a mother and a sister, but other things too. I think the binary reduces us all and we all suffer. I listen to the ways that the women in my life and the men in my life who I love put themselves down for not living up to an expectation. They deny themselves pleasure because they think they need to ascribe to a certain waist measurement or that they can't stand to be seen in public because their beauty maintenance routine has been interrupted by quarantine and therefore they suddenly don't deserve to be seen at all. And it makes me so sad. I don't want to live in a world where you can only call yourself a woman if you are a particular shape, size, color, occupation etc. I don't want to live in a world where there are parameters around what is and is not manly. Just because you identify as one or the other does not mean that you need to follow this social script. And by sticking up for trans voices, and elevating our experience into the mainstream reality and calling it normal, gives them the space too to expand beyond those roles. And reinforcing them only puts up more bars. Puts you in more boxes. I mean, we are all connected. My freedom is your freedom. My suffering is your suffering. We are being given an invitation in these times of isolation to really sit with our thoughts and be introspective. And since I know you've already watched the entire Netflix and Hulu catalog, what do you have to lose? Just sit with your feelings, look over your story, listen to the way that people who love you know you and notice if there are areas that don't match up with the way that you experience yourself and understand that it is not betrayal to try to invite someone that you love who doesn't understand you to understand you. Just because they got it wrong does not mean that they can't get it right. Just because they see you as one thing doesn't mean that they can't see all of you. We can't continue to live lives through little peepholes, through social media filters, We need reality now more than ever. So much of what we understood as normal has been lost. So how will we reinvent? How will we put the pieces of the world back together in a way that gives space for all of us to exist, to really live, to not just survive, to not be defensive, but to be receptive open to learning from each other, sharing experiences, and being authentic. And maybe in the beginning of this, it might feel embarrassing. It might feel like a lie because it conflicts with other people's truth. It conflicts and is contradictory to what they understand as true. But the only true thing is change. The only true thing is opening up your eyes every fucking day and being willing to keep them open, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. This is what artists do, good artists, when art is at its highest potential. We refuse to look away. We don't distract ourselves. We have to take the heat of the world and make it legible. And yes, maybe there's smoke signals at best, maybe there's snapshots of truth that only exist in this microcosm of a moment. But if we dedicate ourselves to that process, that scientific process of trying and trying again and accepting only what we experience and accepting only what we share between our stories, and locating in the body, using the body as the instrument that it is for perception, getting in touch with what our yes feels like and what our no feels like, and listening. These are the ingredients for liberation. These are the ingredients to reorient our lives around pleasure and connection rather than pain and categories and fucking misery i'm sorry but i don't believe happiness is a luxury i think that we were told that so that we're made to feel ashamed for asking for it as if we need to do something productive to contribute to the machine of the economy just to deserve pleasure or happiness or joy You don't. You deserve it just for existing. And we can pursue that together. It is not selfishness to want to be seen. And staying silent, perpetuating stereotypes of ourselves, let alone each other, it's all violence. We don't need it to survive. Maybe in the world that was past before people had the imagination to consider other possibilities. But now we have it. We've sat alone for enough time. We've been separate from the economy and been given the opportunity to recognize that our worth is not connected to how much we can produce in a day of what they might call work. The real work is in understanding each other and in the quest to understand ourselves. I hope that sharing this personal story of my own evolution will inspire you to look back at your story and notice where you're growing and notice in the now, the direction that you want to grow in I hope you take control and autonomy over who you become. I might believe in reincarnation, but that doesn't mean that a life should be wasted being anyone less than who you are. And whoever you are, you are enough. You are more than enough. You are so much that people are afraid they will be overwhelmed by all that you are and they won't be. They will be buoyed up by it like butterflies in their bellies. Your true self is lightness. Your true, true self is integrating. Is both where you've been and where you're going. You get to write that story. You are the author. And together we make each other's stories possible. Because for every word written, we need an ear to listen. And I hope that whether you are writing your own story right now, or whether you are opening yourself up to be able to listen and hear and see another person author their own, know that both of those things are revolutionary. Both of those things are an act of rebellion, and they are beautiful, and they are precious. And there is still work for me to do. I am not living out in every aspect of my life. There are still people I love who can't see me completely. There are still people who hate me, who don't see me at all. But... I don't stop trying. And yes, maybe there are people that I love who will never see me. But that doesn't mean that I am willing to give up on them. And I don't want them to give up on me. I think that in order for coming out to be at all effective in bridging the gap between our experienced self and our perceived self. We have to be willing to show up and do the work even when it hurts. And everyone is their own authority, right? Maybe in your life it would cost you too much to try and not everyone is worth that effort. Not every environment Necessitates complete authenticity. I mean, I want to envision a world where we have the privilege, or maybe privilege is the wrong word, where we have the possibility of existing authentically and where that is an intrinsic right that every person is given. And maybe we're not there yet, but we can work together in building that reality by not giving up, by not hiding by not silencing ourselves. Before I leave you today, I invite you to be introspective, to think on what I've shared and expand that in your body and to know above all that you are deeply, deeply loved.